0: Welcome to the Football for Kids podcast with me, Darren Rees. Before we properly get into this episode, I need to say a massive happy birthday to one of our listeners, Thomas Close. Thomas plays for Heath Park Rangers Red Team in Cardiff, mostly as a goalkeeper. He is also a big fan of Liverpool, Cardiff and Wales. Thomas turns 11 on the 13th of November and his mum Joe, his dad Mark and his little brother Jack all want to wish him a very happy birthday. Also, a massive happy birthday from me and every single listener who listens to Football for Kids, Thomas. I hope that you have a brilliant day. Right then. This is the start of a new series of episodes on football jobs. When I was younger, all I wanted to be was a professional footballer, but it just didn't happen for me, and it didn't happen for hundreds of thousands of others. That doesn't mean it's impossible though, because plenty of people dream of playing for their dream club and they go on to do it. I wish that when I was younger, somebody told me that even if you're not a professional footballer, you can still do a job in football. So I've decided to create a series on jobs in football. The first episode is with the BBC football commentator John Murray. John is one of the best football commentators in the world. And it's very likely if you've listened to football on the radio, you would have heard John's voice. Some of you may not know what a football commentator's job actually is. Well, if you aren't sure, in John's case, he works for the BBC and attends some of the biggest football matches in the world. He will go to a football ground and then describes almost everything which is happening in front of him, for the listeners at home and for the listeners around the world. And he gets paid to do it. You will hear football commentators when you're watching a game on the television and when you're playing football games like EAFC or as most people know it, FIFA. Can you imagine how good it is to be able to go to football grounds, watch football matches and get paid for it? John has travelled the world following a sport which he loves very much and he very kindly invited me to spend some time with him so I went to London to sit down with him and ask him some of your questions. I hope that you enjoy this conversation. Hi John, my name is Jake and I am 8 years old. And I play for Tech Soccer FC. I am a massive Miral fan. My question is, how and why did you become a commentator? And have you ever commentated in a Merle game? Thanks! Chief!
1: Well, Jake, the reason that I became a commentator is, I think, in common with many of my colleagues and many people who've worked in the media, in sport over the years, is that you very quickly realise that you are not going to be good enough to actually play it and to be a professional sports person. And and unfortunately, I realised that at a very, very young age and therefore was very keen to get into some kind of connection with sport in, in the job that I did. And, uh, this seemed like the best option. So, so quite straightforward really. And, um, you know, I would, again, very like the, all of my colleagues, and certainly I feel this way, it's been such a, such a great job to do that I'm always really encouraging and keen to try and get other young, young people into it because it's such a rewarding thing to do. And you're in there, you're involved in sport, yet you've got your own achievements and targets and, and things that you want to do in the job that you do in the field that you work in. So therefore it's, it is constantly challenging, even though I've now done it for decades and decades, it's still challenging. Things still happen to me doing this job that I've not experienced before and you still have weeks and weekends where you cover football matches, and and you feel that you know you've been outmaneuvered by what's happened on the pitch, and you've not been able to do it in the way that you want to do it. So that's what I mean. It's it's a it's a continuing challenge to me. So um, so so yeah, I, I you know I do not have any regrets about getting into this job. It's it's provided everything that I hoped it would.
0: When was the first time that you realised that you could actually do this kind of thing as a job and be paid for it and earn a living out of it and everything else which comes out of all the other jobs which you could possibly do? When did that moment come for you, John? Uh,
1: well, the what was a real moment that I always remember would be, and, I, and by this stage I'd already been and got involved in hospital radio, I'd already written articles when I was at, at college, um, I wrote reports on our team's football matches. So I'd already, I'd already gathered quite a lot of experience from that point of view, work experience as well. I'd been into my local newspaper, been, been into the local radio station to see how things worked and met people. But I remember in my final year at university going to the careers officer and the careers officer saying to me, when we had the discussion about sports journalism, and he said have you thought about radio commentary? And I had, but it felt like something that was out of reach. You know, it just seemed that that would be a bit of a pipe dream really. But I remember him saying it and then showing me courses that there, there were in radio journalism, which is what I trained to do after I'd finished my university degree. And, um, it was just a moment it felt did feel as though there was a big you know click of the fingers there and that's what i wanted to do and I'd, i you know i'd listened to so much i'd watched lots and lots of tv sport and listened to lots and lots of commentary but i'd also listened to lots and lots of radio sport and radio football commentary absolutely loved it it it's always captured my imagination and i remember at that moment thinking Yes, that's
0: exactly what I would like to do. And that's what I then did. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, the next question is from Tyler. Hi, my name is Tyler. I am from Leicestershire, England. I would like to know how far away are you from the pitch and do the players look like and somewhere you are?
1: This is a great question, Tyler. Absolutely loved it and uh yep sometimes it it does it can feel that way, and it feels like that in the time that I've done this job the the commentary positions have moved further and further away from the pitch, but you still go to certain grounds like uh, i don't know Bournemouth. Uh, and and other grounds where you're actually sitting quite lo- low down. Arsenal's another one where you're actually quite low down in the stadium and close to the action. But some of them you're very very high up and quite often a long way away. Liverpool, for example, since they built the uh, the new main stand there, we are now right up on the top tier and right at the front of the top tier. But you're still a long way from the action, and uh, and and they can way down below you appear to be. A little bit like Ants. Uh, Sunderland's another one, actually, at the Stadium of Light. They, they've moved the, the commentary positions for radio, certainly, right to the back of the main stand. And that is very, very high. And not only do the players look like ants from up there, but also at Sunderland, um, they're a team where wearing red and white stripes at home with black numbers on the back uh, and no panel on the back it's almost impossible to see the numbers, which is an occupational hazard of the commentator. So they might look like ants, but as long as you can see their numbers on their shirt, then you, you can't ask for much more than that. But it's a great question.
0: And uh, the simple answer to it is yes, sometimes. <laughs> now I've done a, a little bit of football reporting and Reading is a terrible place for that. Reading Football Club, for any of you... Royals fans out there because like John said you get the stripes and then the red number on top which is terrible, to terrible to view and then at Reading you are so high up it is so very difficult to see who's who unless your knowledge of Reading and whoever they're playing um, is, is very good. Sheffield Wednesday they're another, another one covered one. them in the, in, the, in the FA Cup last year and I knew
1: because I'd seen them on the television and I was actually able to go and watch them the weekend before just when, when I wasn't working, I was gone on the way back from uh, a match somewhere else and Sheffield Wednesday were playing. So I was able to go and watch them in the match before they played the match that I was commentating on. So that was a big help to just try and recognise the, the players without necessarily relying on the numbers. And of course, Newcastle United are another one who, who black and white stripes with the red numbers on the back, I think they are. And they're so difficult to see. Yet when it, when they've come this season to be playing in the Champions League, UEFA rules state that you must be able to see the numbers on the backs of the yeah. shirts. So therefore, in the Champions League, you'll notice there is a difference and that there's a white panel on the back with a number on it. And what a difference it makes when you see them in the Champions League and suddenly you can see see the numbers on the shirts. It's almost like the scales have fallen away from your eyes that you're able to see the, the numbers <laughs> clearly. Uh, if only the Premier League and indeed all of the, the sporting footballing bodies here would insist that you like UEFA, have to be able to see the number. It, it would be great for people
0: like be you. Great for the, not only the commentators, it would actually be a help for the spectators as well. The next question is from Jacob. What has been the best moment in your career?
1: The memory that comes back to me, Jacob, is this is my early days when I had, was working for BBC Radio Sport and I'd just really become a member of the football commentary team. And I remember my colleague, Mike Ingham, coming up to me in the, in the radio sports room. And uh, I remember I was actually editing on a reel-to-reel tape. You yeah, know, that, that's, that's one to look up in your archives and see what all that's about. We actually had to cut the tape with a razor blade and put it together. That's how we used to work in my early days. Anyway, I was doing that and Mike came up to me congratulated me on on um, being appointed as one of the football commentators. And he said, and of course you know what this means, don't you? This means you'll be going to the World Cup. Which I hadn't really thought about, because it had all it would all been quite recent. And suddenly I thought I, I don't believe it. That's that's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. Because when I was growing up, never really had a strong allegiance to a club, even though I'd go and watch club football. But I always Really, really loved international football. Still do because of the World Cup and because of the big tournament. And so for for me, for it suddenly to dawn on me there that I was going to the World Cup. And then I remember going to, it was actually France, World Cup 98. So it was in Paris. So it was in Paris the day before the World Cup. All about to begin. I'm going to be commentating on, you know, got my schedule all worked out. I know where I'm going to be. And just being there on the day before the World Cup began in Paris on the Champs Elysees, just actually, really, I actually, I actually cried. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe I was just on my own and it just all sort of overwhelmed me a little bit that it, this had happened so quickly and I was going to really fulfil a dream of mine to, to commentate on the World
0: Cup. So that's the, that's the memory that comes back. Uh, the next question is from Fred. Hi Darren, my name is Fred and I'm 10 but 11 on the 12th of November. I live in Crystal Palace and I support Manchester United. I play for Seymour Villa FC and my question is, is it ever hard not to show too much emotion when you commentate on the team you support? Before I go, please could you shout out to my cousins Isaac, Francesco and Jonas and do an episode later in the series about Peter Schmeichel, Ike Cassius and Lucy Bronze. Thanks. Bye.
1: Well, um, as I've I've just said, not having a strong club allegiance really has been quite a help as a a commentator because you're never, never too involved with with any club but it has been different when I've commentated on England and I've really felt that and I've, I've felt very very different like at the World Cup in Moscow really I remember it f- first like that when England's match in uh, at the World Cup in 2018 <clears throat> in the last 16 went to penalties you know I felt totally different commentating on that to any other match that I've I've commented on just because of a whole variety of things. Really, Um, you know, everything had been very, very positive. With this was Gareth Southgate's first tournament as the England manager. There had been a real sea change in attitude, and you know, the 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 England squad had become so much more open and available. It did feel like a, a, a change of atmosphere. And everything had gone so well, and then that match went to a penalty shootout, and there was clearly the possibility that this could all now end in yet another penalty shootout defeat. And um, you know, it, it felt I was invested in that in a totally different way. And for England to actually win that penalty shootout in the way they did, when Eric Dyer scored the what was the the um, the, the clinching penalty. I, again, I would say I'd, I've never felt like that. That's the, that, that's probably the most emotional I've felt uh, covering a football match.
0: Uh, the next question is from Rian in Ireland. I have a question for John. What's the hardest name you ever had to pronounce of a player while commentating from Rian?
1: Well, you know, it's um, this is all. Or one of the key things, isn't it, of, of being a commentator, is to try and get your head around the various names, and, and lots of lots of us get hung up about how you actually say certain names as well and how to pronounce them. But the one that actually comes to mind is a Celtic player, centre forward, called Jan Venegor of Hesselink. So his surname was Venegur of Hesselink. So three, he had three words in his surname. And therefore, you couldn't shorten it at all. He had to be Venegor of Hesselink. So therefore, for a for a centre forward as well, who's your likely goal scorer, and could be involved in a goal mouth scramble, to have Venegor of Hesselink is such a mouthful that 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 was one of the most challenging names that uh, that I think that I've had to deal with, and on a similar theme now I've found over the course of the, the years that I've done this that now, because of the way that the world works, you get so many more players with double-barrelled names than they used to be when I, when I was first commentating. So now you can have, some teams will have two, three, four double-barrelled names which obviously makes the whole commentary process longer. And the, the two that I would always dread were when Trent Alexander-Arnold and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain we're in the same Liverpool team and very often actually on the same side of the field and it just really messed with my mind and i think it was because they both had similar length names that were double barreled and they both had an x in them and i would they would i'd really have to concentrate not to confuse the names and confuse the players and I've, th- this has been a bit of a theme this there was a time as well when everton used to have in midfield uh, Thomas Graveson and Lee Carsley, who were very similar build of players. So this is not so much on the names. This is more on the, 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 the two players that are in the same part of the field. And I think they both had a number six in their numbers as well. And I, I used to dread having to commentate on those two in the
0: same match. So, uh, so yeah, I hope, that, I hope that kind of answers the question. And the next question is from Henry in Canada. Hello, Darren.
1: Hello, John. My name is Henry and I live in Canada. And my question for John
0: is, what was your favourite football moment that you commentated? Thanks.
1: Well, hello, Henry in Canada. And I would point you very quickly to the World Cup final in Qatar, which was an amazing game, or at least it was. There was a point, if you remember, ten minutes to go when it looked as though Argentina were go, going to win comfortably, but the next sort of hour was amazing, absolutely amazing. In one of the most incredible stadiums that I've ever been in, absolutely extraordinary place. Um, to think that we were sitting in in Qatar in the on the in the desert, effectively watching a match like that, which featured obviously Lionel Messi and Kylian Mbappe doing what they did it, that was an in, incredible experience i'm not sure i'm not sure i'll, I'm not sure I'll, I'll top that it, it, the circumstances the fact that it's the world cup final the biggest football match that you can possibly be at and it was the kind of game and the kind of drama that uh that that, that, that it was
0: so yeah i think that's that's the one i'd pick out okay the next question is from rafferty hi darren and john um I wanted to ask a question. Who is the most skillful player you've ever commentated on?
1: Well, I've been very fortunate in the time that I've been commentating in that uh, that's kind of spanned the career of Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi. I mean, it's a very obvious answer to to that question, but those two have been absolutely head and shoulders above probably everyone else and great players to commentate on as well, because there's so much about them, probably particularly Cristiano Ronaldo because of the way that he is and the way that he carries himself and the kind of things that he does. But Messi as well. Um, Amazing. I saw his, you know, I was commentating when he came on as a substitute for his first match at a world cup back in 2006. And then, you know, to be there when he actually all those years later, actually gets to the point where he wins the World Cup with Argentina. But watching him play for Barcelona, you know, again, we were fortunate to go there so many times and see him. And he'd almost always turn it on. Amazing that they could be so consistent and again and again and again. And the, and the two of them as well, so rarely injured that, um, that, uh, you, you, you know, I definitely, I would, I would, Set set them very much apart as the as the two that I'll probably remember more than anyone
0: else. Okay, so this is our last uh, voice note question, which is from Zach. Hi, John. My name is Zach, and I am five years old. My question is: What the best game you have ever commentated? Thank you. Sorry. Now, I think you may have answered this with the World Cup um, final. Uh, Any others which are close to it? I think
1: the big matches that England have had in recent years are the ones that I would pick out. And I think the Euros here, which was rather tainted by what happened surrounding the final uh, back in 2021, but on the way to that final, for England to win the to win the quarter final against Germany, to win the semi final against Denmark, and you really, I felt at the time, well, I think I think England supporters felt that you know they were they were on the way to potentially winning that tournament. Um, they they were they were real standouts for me. I think some of the, I mean, the Champions League final of uh, 2018 in Kiev between Real Madrid and Liverpool, what a, what a, an extraordinary night that was. That that had a little bit of everything in it. Um, the location, you know, I think particularly in the light of everything that's happened in Ukraine since we were there. And yet that seems so recent now. And and now the thought that there could be a, a big match like that, a Champions League final in Kiev, is that? Is actually unthinkable, but they, they were they were brilliant. It was such a, a great place to to go to, and it provided one of the most memorable, I think, matches that that I've commentated on. Some great goals, some extraordinary incident with Carius and what happened to him. You know, as we as we knew later, he was concussed at the time. The Liverpool goalkeeper. Uh, the the way that the way that the the action went that night. a g- Great match to commentate on.
0: Okay, Some written questions now. Uh, the first one is from Albie, who's a nine, and from Milton Keynes. And Albie says, where is the best place you have ever travelled to to commentate on a football match? I think, Albie, my reaction to that would be Jeju Island in South Korea
1: at the World Cup in 2002. Um, uh, at that tournament, I think, yes, I was, exclusively in in. South Korea well obviously the, the World Cup was taking place in Japan and and uh, Korea but my assignments there were, were all Korean based so I went up and down I think I went to every venue in, in Korea an extraordinary place to go to but there was always this um, there was always this sort of uh fixtures in the in the schedule that we would be going to Jeju which was described as the as the the honeymoon resort of South Korea and it was in this island as the Name would suggest off the south of Korea in I think the South China Sea, and it was absolutely unbelievable. It was like paradise, an amazing place that we went to. And this stadium has been built in the middle of, in the middle of this island. I don't know. I'm not sure that uh, whether it's actually staged too much football since then. But um, amazing location for a commentator as well. The the views out. You could see out to sea. You could see islands off the off the coast, and. Glorious sandy beaches. The weather was weather was great. So I would say that was probably the most glamorous location that I've that I've been sent to. Sounds good, that oh, does. And obviously, um, R- R- Brazil, Rio de Janeiro, Copacabana Beach,
0: Ipanema. I mean, that was that was pretty <laughs> special as well. Uh, the next question is actually from my son Charlie, who's nine and is from Hampshire, and he says. What food and sweets do you have when you are commentating to keep you going? Well, my good friend
1: and fellow commentator, Conor McNamara, gave me a piece of advice. He said, never have more than two cups of coffee on the day that you're going to commentate on a match, because he said that scrambles the brain. Now, I'm not sure whether this was Conor's uh, amateur psychology or whether he's actually this is actually based on science. But that's always stuck with me. So I always try not to drink more than two cups of coffee when I commentate on a match. Um, and also, the other thing I try not to eat is chocolate because I, I find it just sort of, it, uh, it, it, before, before a match, it kind of, I don't know, it, it, it doesn't, it sort of, <laughs> it feels a bit sort of stodgy to eat chocolate before I'm commentating. So I'll, I'll stay away from chocolate just before a match. No sweets or treats, any, any uh, anything yeah, which is in the commentary out. box? Yeah, I mean, uh, our producer Gary Flintoff is, is religi- religiously brings along uh, all manner of sweets to the match. Rob Nossman as well. Rob uh, loves to bring shortbread. He brings a lot of shortbread. Uh, and, um, oh, what are they called? Italian biscuits with chocolate on them. I can't remember the name of them. But, uh, but, but yeah, bis biscuits are, are are something I will I'll, I'll quite often tend to have at football matches. Uh, Tunnocks, Tunnocks wafers—they're a they're a staple of uh, BBC Radio football producers. The sort of oblong, rectangular uh, Tunnocks wafer caramel biscuits—I do quite like one of those at a match. And, and yes, I know
0: they've got chocolate on them. Uh, the next one is from Isabella, who is eleven and from Stoke, and Isabella says. What do you think about VAR? Well, um, it's obviously having a
1: very bad trot at the moment, VAR. uh, But what I would say is that in the entire history of football, from when it started to where it eventually ends and the world ends and and, uh, we never have to think about football again, we are now in still the, the very, very, very early days of VAR. And we will get to a place where it is a better system than it is now. And I wasn't particularly in favour of, of technology being brought in in the first place, but I think what people are forgetting at the moment is the what, what, what was being said and what led to VAR being brought in in the first place. You know, there were decisions that were happening that were just so wrong that something had to be done about it. And, you know, football managers and players and, and all of the people who around the game were up in arms because so many decisions were, were, were so badly wrong that led to the point where technology came in. So it, it's, it's not right the way that it is now, but I'm confident that in a period of time we will get to a point where it, it means that we have, a, we have a better sport to watch. Um, and I know that there's a great deal of frustration now when people are saying, you know, it's to It means that we haven't got football the way that we used to have it. And there, you know, there's definitely merit and fairness in in people who say that. But I think you have to you have to just keep improving, keep improving, and that's what they're trying to do. Although right at this moment, it's
0: it's very difficult for the the people who are making the decisions over it. Well, the last of the listeners' questions is from Denny from Dagenham, who's age 12. And Denny says, what is the craziest or funniest thing you have ever seen when working at a football match? Craziest or funniest
1: thing? Well, I do, it, uh, I do, remember, I do remember going to Brentford when, uh, and this was the old Brentford ground before they moved away from Griffin Park. And that was one of the tightest press boxes that, that anyone could sit in. And I'm very tall, I'm six foot six. And so almost literally had to wedge myself into that commentary position. And not, not only that, not only was it very tight, they also had these benches that you pulled down that had, a, that weren't flat. They would actually lean down towards you. And I remember I had a cup of coffee with me for the start of the second half that was scalding hot. And I'm to put it on the, t- I tried to put it on the top where it would balance and literally cannot move in this, in this ground. And of course, what happens is it tips over and it actually tips down into my lap. So it's, it is, it's red hot on what was a very cold day. So, and I couldn't move. I'm actually commentating and I'm, at, I'm soaked by very hot coffee in my lap, which was part of it. And then during the course of the second half, that then becomes very cold and wet. As you're sitting there inside, the, uh, inside the, the, the commentary box. So that was definitely one of the most challenging situations that I've had. I also remember in, in my relatively early days, there was a, a spate of matches being interrupted by floodlight failures, fog and general bad weather. And I went through a run over a course of two or three seasons when it always seemed to be the match that I was at that was disrupted by one of these things. So it almost became second nature at one point that I was so used to having to to talk
0: while the action has been stopped for whatever reason it is. So one last question for you, John. What would you say to young, enthusiastic football fans who want to work in the world of football and in in particular want to do the job which you are doing and you love doing? I would say uh, somehow, some way
1: get the opportunity to do it because everyone can commentate because it is just an exercise, certainly from a radio commentary point of view, it's an exercise in saying what you see. Uh, and that is the basic, you know, they, as long as you get the basics right and, um, make sure that you are in a position where you feel comfortable behind a microphone. So that's what I mean about getting an opportunity to do it. However, you can do it. There are so many ways now to, to get in, into sports commentary many more, many, many, many more than there, than there used to be because there are so many different strands to the media in whichever way that you uh, work in it. I think perhaps it's more difficult to actually get to the top of the profession than it used to be. But, um, you know, however however you can get an opportunity to do it, whether it's hospital, radio, whatever way it is, because everyone commentates, everyone who, who has played sport, when they're growing up, has commentated because you do that in the you do it in the park, you do it in the playground. Everyone does it. Commentates on either themselves or their friends playing whatever sport it is. So everyone can do it.
0: Well I hope you enjoyed my chat with the magnificent John Murray. And maybe when it comes to the time where you decide what you want to do when you're older, you might be passionate about being a football commentator like John. So remember If you know someone who loves football just as much as you do, then please tell them about Football for Kids and whether you're playing football soon, watching it on the telly or pitch side, I hope that you've enjoyed the game. See you next time.